mostly. Uh, we have services. The services our, our agency offers are offered to everybody in the two-county, Humboldt, Delnark County, but we don't have an office down there. Our, we have an office in Eureka, and we have staff up in Delnark, and um, have volunteers working throughout the two counties, but we don't have an office down there. So it's just going down there and going into the fire department, you know, and the first day after going in there and saying, where are the seniors? Who do I need to go see? And then we did that. And then hooking up to Providence, St. Joe's has a uh, resource center there, community resource center. So that became the hub also. So people have been coming in like crazy, like just there's a lot of needs. And Riodale has a pretty significant population of elderly, right? Would you say? It seems to be that way. Yes. We're finding a lot of older adults living there and um, a lot of renters or some of them own their own homes, but. They're, you know, they're, they're definitely low-income folks that nobody has earthquake insurance, of course, because even people with extra money in their pockets don't have earthquake insurance. They never, no one thinks it's a good idea. And it, yeah, you don't need it until well, you need it. And you have to put out a, first, a, a huge amount first, a percent. You know, I don't remember. I don't have it anymore. But you had to put out a huge amount first. So um, most people don't have that kind of money sitting around. So they're like, well, if. I won't ever come up with my co-pay, so to speak. Why would I get the insurance? Because it will never kick in if I can't pay my share. Yeah. And then we got hit. And then everything changes. Yeah. Although most of the people, yeah, renters can't get earthquake insurance. They can have renter's insurance. And depending on the type of insurance and what they cover, it might help. But, you know, most renters can get renter's insurance, but most of the people I talk to down there, they just can't afford it. You know, they just don't have it. Well, like we were talking about before we started, what happens if your building's red tagged? You're renting from this building and then where do you go? Housing is already so tight right now. So what, what happened initially is people were going to friends or sleeping in their cars or they could afford it getting hotels. And now the county has, is giving people hotel vouchers for for housing, for hotel housing for these folks. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's a county question in terms of how long that's going to be and what's going to happen. I mean, this is, the earthquake is over in seconds, but the uh, repercussions are going to go on for years. Well, yeah. what was crazy about this one was the amount of aftershocks. It felt like it just kept happening. Yeah. Yeah, and down there they filled every single one of them, and then of course the one on the January first, um, it it felt different to people, and it did different things to a lot of people. And then of course, some of the places that weren't red tagged, maybe maybe they could have been yellow tagged, maybe not, but they were definitely red tagged on that second earthquake because it just it hit different. I think the Lloyd Building in Eureka was red tagged, right? Don't they? I think they have to demolish that one. Yeah, that building. Yeah, poor guy with the, the um, friends of friends, uh, the guy that owns the place next door, you know, the uh, stereo place. He got hit really hard, and that building was supposed to come down a long time ago, so now it is. Yeah, what do you do? And, I mean, we have so many buildings like that that are a little older, a little more sketchy. You just don't want to be caught in one of those when yeah. something goes down like that. Yeah, good point. This is not reassuring. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, what freaked me out 
was just the amount of aftershocks. If it yeah. had just been the big earthquake or even the one following it, I, c- I would have been okay with it. But it was every few hours you feel the rumbling again. Mm-hmm. Like, is this, this going to be another big one right now? Are we... What's happening here? Well, I don't know if you've ever had Lori Dingler on your show. You should talk to her about earthquakes because she's a local expert. But she says that it's pretty, you know, there's a common, there's a, there's some um, formula that they can figure out how many, roughly how many aftershocks you should have depending on the type, the severity. So it's, but yeah, it's pretty normal, but we've had hundreds. I didn't know they could predict that. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a probability thing. They can't. You know, they they say if you've had, you know, it's a certain amount based on the certain level of something. I mean, she'll tell you. I don't want to misquote her. She's the expert. I'm just the uh, person that hears things. Passing along <laughs> knowledge. I'm passing along inform- <laughs> misinformation right now, folks. That's all I do on this show is pass it along. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, she'd be really interesting to have uh, have on, especially now that people are thinking about earthquakes and and there's a lot to do that you can do to be prepared. And we all don't always want to do it. And the other part of it is when you look at what you should have in your to-go kit, your disaster kit, um, a lot of, it's overwhelming. And a lot of people can't afford to have like two of everything so that you have it in your disaster kit, but you may also be wanting to use it. So, or do you just say, well, I'll put that in my disaster kit? Well, you may not have time to put it in your disaster kit, so you really have to have a separate kit. So um, putting those things together, it's one thing that our area agency on aging has had the plan. We have the budget to put together some disaster kits for folks. And so, of course, they really needed them, and we didn't have them yet, but we're still going to try to get that done before too long because people need to have these things ready and a lot of people can't afford to have them ready. So yeah, and how many people even just have the necessities mm-hmm. of medical supplies mm-hmm. ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if if they tell you to have um, you know, food ready, you know, that you know, your canned food and everything, well, some people can do that and other people don't have money to have a bunch of food sitting around that they're not supposed to eat, you know, and then the whole cycling it through. It's just it's a lot, you know, it's we need to be planning for these emergencies, fires, storms. I mean, we've got parts of the county still without power. Um, we need to be planning for it. But I think for a lot of people, it's it's just beyond what they feel like they can accomplish. And so you were coming at it from the Area 1 Agency on Aging. For people that don't know, you're the executive director. Mm-hmm. What What is your guys' focus with that organization? Well, normally, um, we focus, we provide a number of services to the community at no cost to them. We do Medicare counseling. One of our more popular programs is called HICAP, which is an acronym. The state loves acronyms. It's an acronym. It means Health Insurance Counseling and Advocacy Program. So if we call it the HICAP program, we're using program twice. So I try not to do that, but it's HICAP. Um, And we help people with their Medicare questions. Uh, billing questions. We help them a lot during the annual open enrollment period for the Medicare Part D, which is the drug plan. So, um, and and this is this is it's kind of crazy because here you have a bunch of people. Many of them are are sick. They have different medications. They're older people. They're not all sick, but many of them have a lot of things going on. 
and you ask them every year to proactively look at their drug plan that they have through some drug insurance company through, that's sanctioned through Medicare and determine if it's still the best drug plan for them or if they should change to a different drug plan. And it, a lot of it has to do with what drugs are you taking? Did your drugs change? Did the company increase rates? Did they have that drug but then get rid of it? You have to be an active consumer of this. It's like, why are we allowing these drug companies to make so many changes every damn year so that people have to do that? Why can't we let, you know, let people place their money and let it ride or let the drug company tell them, hey, we're raising our rates or, hey, we're kicking, you, you know, we're not going to do that drug anymore rather than people having to dig in. And you have, you have two months to do it, less than two months to do it. You have to do it during that period. So all these older adults are rushing around trying to figure out whether they should change their plan and save money or, or change plans because the meds they're taking no longer are covered. It's just a ludicrous system. It's a, we sold out to the pharmaceutical companies, obviously. Um, and so we, that is very stressful. So that happens October 15th through December 7th. And thank God these earthquakes didn't happen during that because you know, people have enough to worry about. We also do advocacy for people who live in long-term care settings, nursing homes, residential care facilities for the elderly. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that's been really challenging the last few years with COVID because it really, COVID really showed how ageist we are as a society. Um, oh, you know, sitting people in nursing homes. I mean, that's where it started, right? And you didn't, People are like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm not in a nursing home, so life goes on. Well, then all of a sudden it went everywhere. And, and here we are again because people have kind of let down their guard, tired of wearing a mask, tired of being isolated, whatever. But we have cases in our nursing homes again because it's, it's naturally going to happen if you have a disease that uh, is easy to spread and you don't know you have it, you know, when you're spreading it. It's, it's going to happen. So our facilities now have, you know, cases climbing of COVID. And these people are the most vulnerable. So, um, but normally we're in those facilities advocating, talking to the residents, finding out, you know, if they're having needs that they'd like us to help, just help them get met with the facility folks. And during COVID, we couldn't go in there. Uh, and that really, what we've found was, you need eyes. You need eyes in, in facilities, which is why they created the ombudsman program back in the 80s, or actually the end of the 70s, is because we realized you need eyes in these places. Not everyone there has family visiting on a regular basis. And, uh, it's, and it's tough work. You know, the people who work there, it's hard physical work. It's low paid, low appreciated. Um, it's like, you know, we say that our childcare uh, folks are underappreciated. I think people working in nursing homes are even less appreciated. So it's, it's, we've set up societally, we've set up a system where the most vulnerable are being cared for people that we don't care about, you know, and, and it just, it, it's just not the way to, to take care of the people that you care about. So it's challenging that program we have. We also have a, what we call general information assistance, which is kind of like if you don't know where to go, and have no idea where to ask for help, you just call that number and we help you find the help you need. We, we don't offer all the services in our community. Nobody can, but we could help these folks figure out where they need to, need to go. Um, that has been re off the hook, literally, with 
uh, with the uh, earthquakes, people calling, trying to find resources. Um, and it probably did help that I was down there a lot giving out our, our phone number. Um, sorry, Well, it guys. probably did help them. It helped not them, your staff. Sorry, they were probably staff. swamped. Well, you know, I was, most of my staff were off a lot during, from the 20th to the 3rd. So I figure I did, I, I did the work those two weeks. And so now they, they, they can take over. But, um, but no, there's a great group of people working down there. And I don't want to go back to that right now. But a lot of people were running to help folks in Rio Dell and other places. Um, but now, you know, we get calls for, for information assistance. We also run a volunteer driver program, which needs a catchier name. But it's volunteers who drive older adults to medical appointments, grocery shopping, all those things. That also took a hit during COVID because most of our drivers are older people themselves. And we started doing grocery shopping. Our staff stepped in because our drivers were 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 hunkered down and we started doing grocery shopping for a lot of our riders during that time and getting them food um, until things got set up in other ways. Um, you know, people don't realize um, not everyone could afford to call like a grocery delivery entity and say, bring me groceries from Safeway. You know how expensive that is? It's ridiculous. You, I mean, come on, you know, and um, not to mention Safeway probably doesn't deliver to Bridgeville or Rio Dell or many of these other places where people are living. So I was on a call a couple of years ago when this was happening with a state, somebody in our state office who, you know, they're in Sacramento and they're like, well, and we wanted to give out cash gift cards. We want to say, look, the best thing you could give people in a crisis is cash, right? Gift cards, give them cash, let them go buy the food they want, buy gas, buy what they need. They're like, well, but what if they buy um, cigarettes or alcohol? Or, and I'm like, you know, they probably will buy food if they're hungry, you know? And, and they're like, well, why can't you buy groceries and deliver them to them? I'm like, and then give them what they don't want. I mean, we have systems in place that help people with that. But what about just saying to somebody, give them the dignity of saying, I know you're hurting right now. I know you can't get out to... You can't go from Bridgeville to Costco and load up. You're not going to do that, but you might pop into the local grocery store in town to get some things. Here's some cash. Why can't we do that? You know, it was, um, but the best one was, hey, have them have food delivered from Safeway. I'm like, honey, you do not know where we live. Um, it was just, and every once in a while I go online and I'll look at it and say, let's see if I want to have food delivered from Safeway. I go, I don't want to spend that much money. Safeway's a block away anyway, but why would I? It's crazy. You pay double the price just for the food to be delivered. It doesn't, it, it doesn't it, pan out. It, it doesn't add up. Yeah. But, and that's what happens. So you can either afford that or you can't. And if you can't, then you're not having your problem solved for you. Um, well, that, I think that's the root of a lot of how society functions when you do get older mm -hmm. is you either have the money to be put in a care home or be able to pay for your meds or have mm -hmm. these access to these facilities or you don't have the funds and then you hope that your family can take care of you or you just try to function until you can't and then what happens if you do get your license taken away because maybe you're a little senile maybe you have some dementia kicking in what where do you go what do you do especially if you don't have anybody Sure, sure. And and certainly living where we do, it's pretty rural that people cars are critically important. Um 
there's this movement to recognize that there's a lot more of us now who they call, um, you know, who are maybe not, el well, they were saying elder orphans for a while, um, but now we're talking about people who are aging solo. You know, the idea that is there's a lot of people who don't have kids uh, or the kids are estranged or, or they're just not living near them and it's not practical. There's, uh, you know, and so how do we go through life um, at that point? And a lot of it's about, you know, looking at your circles, looking at there's certain things, um, you know, we have, some of us have really close friends, some of us have acquaintances, and we all have these bigger circles of people who could assist us. And the idea is to really be thoughtful about who's best for what. In other words, don't lay everything on your family, you know, or your best friend. Think about, well, you know, my family maybe could do this, but my friend over here, Martha, she is a really good, she knows medical stuff a lot. So I might talk to Martha about helping me when I have medical issues that I need to understand rather than stressing my daughter out because my daughter won't understand it. Um, so kind of looking at your team and not expecting one or two people to do all things for you. You know, we go to experts for everything. We go to doctors, we go to lawyers, we go to whatever. So don't expect the one or two people in your life to be those all or nothing experts, you know, widen your circle. Um, like for me, it's, it's, you know, I, I live alone and I lift, you know, I'm moving things around, lifting things. I need to learn it's okay to ask some of the younger people around me to do it, not because I can't do it anymore right now, but because if they can help me, I don't have to do it and I'm saving and they, they want to. So creating those systems around you of, of people of all ages. Um, my dad and my stepmom at some point moved into like a senior retirement community. And when I would go visit them, I was the youngest person there. It was really kind of freaky. I, you know, it was in my 40s and 50s. I'm like, this is kind of a strange place. My mom, on the other hand, always has always lived in mixed communities. Like just when she started living in apartments, it's like all ages, all ages, all ethnicities, all types of people. And she has friends. She had friends of all ages, whereas my dad, you know, most of his friends were his age. And as everyone started dying, there was less there. And so I think there's a lot we can do to think about aging as an opportunity to expand our horizons. And there's a lot of people like people your guys' age. I don't know how old you are, but you need friends my age. You know, we all need friends of different ages. We help each other in different ways. Do you think that in some ways it's a negative way of thinking where we take these folks who are a little older and we isolate them in that type of community? Or do you think that's a valuable resource for them to be around people who are in the same spot? I think it could be either. Either and um, it, it, it depends. I think if they're being isolated, I don't think it's good. If If... It's nice to be around people who have common interests. It's nice to be around people who remember the same music you do from your teenage years. Some of these things, I mean, this is nice, but that isn't either or. It doesn't mean if you have that, you don't shouldn't be out also meeting other people of other ages and backgrounds. Um, I mean, our society now, we're all really good at just wanting to hang out with people who agree with everything we have to say. Um, but I think, you know, I think... 
there's advantages and disadvantages to either way. And I think it's different for everybody. You have to weigh it. But if you're a person who cannot afford to live in one of those facilities type situations, um, then, uh, then you might want to look at it differently. And again, it's the, the thing that's interesting is um, residential care facilities cost money. They're expensive. People can't typically afford that. But nursing homes are paid by Medi-Cal also. So the residential care facilities are not. So it's private pay. You come in, you pay your thousands of dollars a month for whatever. Um, nursing homes accept Medi-Cal. So somebody who cannot afford to be in this other setting might end up in a nursing home, even though really they should be at home, but they can't find the resources the folks to help them so they could stay at home. So they're being kind of put, I don't want to say warehouse, but they are being put into a situation of a higher level of care than they really need simply because they don't have somebody to provide some basic support so they can be at home. Um, there's a couple great programs around that try to help people not be in that situation. And um, one of the ones that we run is our our home share, North Coast Home Share, which is what you originally That's contacted how I found us. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because what that does is it matches a person, usually an older person, who has a home and a little extra space in the house that they're not using. You know, maybe they're in their family home and they're not using the bedrooms the kids lived in, but they don't want to move because it's a hassle and they don't know where they'd move to. Um, they could rent out a room to somebody, and we encourage them to rent that room out and not expect services because then it's sometimes starting out because sometimes like, I didn't get my five hours of service this week. You know, it's like have a relationship like you're both renters or that person's renting from you. But the, the normal pace of a roommate arrangement is, hey, I'm cooking. You want to eat with me? Or, hey, could you take the garbage out? Um, or, or, or I'll take the garbage out. You want to ride to the store, whatever. There's this give and take. And in that process, those two people become friends, can become friends. And what that does is it provides, can often provide the little bit of amount of help a person needs to live independently, that if they don't have it, things start to fall apart. Like I knew a woman who lived upstairs and could bring all her groceries upstairs, but she couldn't take the garbage downstairs because she was afraid of carrying something down. So that's going to create a problem after a while, right? You can bring stuff in, but you can't take it out. So just having someone you live with who takes stuff downstairs, boom, you're, you now look like you're functioning well, and you are because you're sharing that, that, that's, that, that process a little bit and those chores. Um, it's, you know, it's getting a roommate at a different age. You know, it's like the Golden Girls, but uh, it, is, it is catching on in a lot of places because a lot of older adults, especially older women, cannot afford housing. I mean, our housing situation here is crazy, just like everywhere else. Uh, I know that Arcata House Partnership serves a lot of older adults, a lot of women who are homeless now for the first time ever. COVID, um, maybe they were working a low-income job, but they had to step back because they didn't want to get sick. You know, if they're in the service field, like if you're working as a grocer or as a clerk in a grocery store and you're in your 60s, do you want to be there or do you want to not be there during COVID when it first started out? So a lot of these people, once they weren't working, they couldn't pay their bills and or rents go up. 
you know, things happen, spouses die, all kinds of stuff happens to all of us. Earthquakes happen. And so most of us don't have that safety net um, that we could just go and say, oh, that's not a problem. I got money in the bank. I'll just, you know, take care of it. Most people, even, I mean, most hardworking people don't have five, what, don't have $500 for a crisis. Um, that's the crazy thing, especially now post-COVID. I think there was some crazy statistic that savings are at an all-time low. Most people, if they're hit with one bad bill, mm -hmm. they're on the street. They're going paycheck to paycheck and barely that, barely scraping by with that. Yeah, I think Americans have probably been living paycheck to paycheck uh, more often than a lot of other places, um, you know, other developed countries. Uh, I think we have this weird desire to just go have stuff way too often. Consumerism. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. And, you know, and the other thing is um, I have a side, um, well, before I go there, um, I was going to the other program that I wanted to mention is called Redwood Coast Village, which is volunteer organization. Um, you become a member and they encourage you to volunteer also. And it's basically, it's to help do those chores and different things that you just need a little help with as you get older, or maybe you're going to go have surgery and you need someone to take care of you, walk your dog until you can do that. Uh, maybe you're going to be out of town, somebody to water your plants, bring in your mail somebody to put the light bulbs up so you're not going up on ladders or do some just kind of handy person work or social work, maybe do the grocery shopping. Um, all these little pieces that help a person remain independent without being, um, I shouldn't say remain independent because that's a misnomer. None of us are independent. Our society is like, independence is so important. No, we're not independent. We're so interdependent. We are so dependent on other people, even if we think we're not. I mean, we, we, if we were really independent, no one would ever get married or have children. We're interdependent, you know, we're interdependent. And so encouraging people not to, 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 it's okay to give help. It's okay to receive help. Um, and it's dignified. It's dignified to receive, to give help and not always be on the recipient end. Um, but I, I think, so, so that program gives people, even the members, you know, even one of the older, more frail members could still make phone calls to another member and check in and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? These are services. These are, that, that's an important service too. So that's a great program, Redwood Coast Village. They're always looking for volunteers. Even if you're not a member, they're looking for people of all ages to drive people to grocery stores or drive people to a movie or whatever they might want. That idea of leaning on people around you it's something even I struggle with at my age. And I'm only 25 and I have a very hard time of asking for help or even just leaning on a friend. Say, hey, could you help me do this? Or not even just in the sense that you always go to that same person, but even spreading it around. I'm very much the type of person that would live and die by my own sword. And it it's beneficial in some ways, but it is definitely a hindrance in others because like you said, everybody needs a community. You need people to help you. You need to help other people. That's that's just the function of a of a good society. And I'm not really sure if that's just what I've learned from our our culture of you need to be independent or something I've ingrained in myself along the way. But I noticed that in me, and it's something I've been trying to chip away at. But it's it's not always an easy fight. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's it is it's it's probably there might be something about your personality that strengthens all the messaging that we give to we give people. Um, I mean, the whole pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, make it. You know, you can make it if you work hard enough. You can do anything you want. You could do all this. I mean, which isn't true, by the way. Which is so um, funny you say that because I'm over here thinking that's my whole ethos. That's my entire identity is built on those pillars. Yeah. Well, and and what I would say is for many people, if they work real hard, they can make things happen. I would venture to say that people who work hard have a better chance of making thing happen, things happen than people that don't do anything. But not. it's not automatic. We have a lot of systems in our society that are designed to keep, not everybody can be a millionaire. Not everybody could be at the top of, uh, we've got to have this pyramid where there's fewer people at the top and there's all these people at the bottom who are serving, serving that, that notion. It's, it's the, you know, when you look at a lot of things in our society, our society runs on scapegoating. It runs on the us and them phenomenon is like you can't we have to have people we can look at who it's it's like if i make it good if i do something successful it's because of my work it's my effort um and then we look at other people and if they don't make it we assume it's because they didn't try and there's a lot of other things happening besides somebody not trying um and this is not aging issue but what the heck um but it's like, look at this, the border. You don't think the people who came from South America aren't working hard right now to get to Mexico? You don't think that took some effort? You know, and, but, but we, we put them in a, a category of they're just coming here. They're just trying to come here to take what's ours or something. I don't, I don't know anyone personally in my life that could probably would would be willing to make that kind of trip on foot or be able to i just don't i mean my world is not i don't know maybe maybe my friends could say oh no i could do that it's like okay fine good thing you don't have to but uh so we do have this this notion that you know if i'm successful it's because what i did and not looking at luck or where we were born or who we were born to, whether we got it, you know, we don't. I mean, there's both. You, you can't sit around and say, I'm going to rest on what was given to me at birth. But people don't come into this world into the same circumstances. Um, and, and I think, you know, we see that with the older adults we work with. I mean, a lot of these people were helping. They had manual labor jobs or low-paying jobs their whole life. They worked hard. Physically, they're beat up. They're not lazy people. But our society doesn't pay certain work as well as we pay other work. So they didn't have, you know, they didn't have it. You know, if you're getting paid minimum wage your whole life, your Social Security check is not going to be as big as somebody who gets a lot more money. It's That's just math. And the damage on you is going to be so much more significant. Mm-hmm. If you're working a manual labor job your entire life, by the time you're yeah. 60 and the time somebody who worked a desk job their whole life is 60, yeah. you are in radically different positions. Yep, yep. So I, I think it's really easy to, um, and I think, you know, when I look at, you know, I mentioned earlier about ageism, I think, I mean, there's a lot of isms that we have in society and 
Um, and, you know, ageism is one we all, I mean, it's so inherent in all of us. It's inherent in the marketing. It's inherent in, I mean, if you buy a birthday card with somebody that, you know, I'm turning 30, I'm over the hill. You know, that's funny when you turn 40 and 50 and 60 and 80, it's like 30, come on. But I mean, this whole thing, and it's always a negative thing. You know, it's always, um, you know, youth is, is seen as, you know, look at the ads, look at how much face cream we all buy. Um, look at Youth how, is everything. Youth is everything. Um, and to be fair, I have, I have my nieces and my nephew, they're all in their 20s. And it goes the other way too. I mean, when you're young, you can be discounted for not knowing anything or not having it. I mean, it goes both ways, but it's worse to be, I think it's worse because you could all, you're always going to get older and be able to prove that you're not that young person anymore. But the older person being judged for being old. You're not going to get younger. They're not going to get younger to show you something. And why should they? They've done everything you've done and more. Um, so it's it's hard, and I I do think the COVID disaster in this country, um, well, was part of it was just people kind of going ah, you know, it's just hitting old people. They've had good lives. They've had enough. I mean, if that if that re went through preschools, the way it went through nursing homes, I just I don't know. I think people would have been. I mean, we were all pretty panicked, but I I think it would have been a different. Different. Well, we, we absolutely value life differently based on age. Mm -hmm. If this COVID is a perfect example If COVID was a disease that was killing children, especially 12 and under. Yeah. It would have been radically different, especially if it was more severe and was really just running through the population. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard. It was such a weird time with it becoming a political issue. I don't know if you would have had the same arguments about where, whether to wear a mask or not to protect a, a, a five-year-old. I, I don't know. I can't say, but I hope. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel pretty confident saying it would have been different. And I think you're right in the sense that it's, it's tied to the idea that if you have an 80-year-old and you have a 12-year-old, the 12-year-old has so much more life to live, mm -hmm. is what people would say. Sure. That, that life has so much farther to go than an 80-year-old who has experienced so much already. And so the sacrifice is yeah. is greater in that sense. And I think if you had that 80-year-old sit there and say, if you said, it's look, honey, it's you or him, that 80-year-old would also say, save the boy. You would hope so. That'd be crazy if it went the other way. And you're well, like, but, I, I, but, need to, I need to stick around. But yeah, I think I think that would happen. But I think the difference is, is that... Um, Nobody's trying to save the 80-year-old. Yeah. And... and and it it's hard. It, this even this was happening when um, hospital space was tight and they couldn't get people in. One of the things that hospitals are not supposed to do, but they do and they have to, is triage who's most likely to survive this treatment, and and look at the and and their life afterwards. And what was happening, not just for older adults, but also for people who were disabled, younger people with disabilities, um, who would definitely die without the treatment, but there, you know, there, there were judgments about, well, even if they get the treatment, you know, what's the quality of life? It's like, well, that's not a question I want a doctor answering for me. I want to answer that myself, you know? And so it, 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 it was pretty, it was pretty, a uh, pretty crazy time for a lot of folks, pretty fearful, you know, thinking, oh my God, what will happen if I need that care and I can't get it because I have a disability and someone says, yeah, you know, 
you're you're in a you, your life isn't that great anyway. I mean, in their heads, you know. And the person's like, you know, this is my life. I like my life. I don't care that I'm disabled. I want treatment. I deserve treatment. It's only fair that I get treatment. So it those decisions were being made, and it it's pretty pretty harsh. Well, and everybody wants to keep going. It doesn't matter if you're 80. It doesn't matter if you're 95. Nobody yeah. wants to just tap out. Everybody thinks I can get a, I can squeeze a little more time out. And I think some of that has to be tied around how we view death in this society and yeah. how detached we are from it and how afraid we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially just look at how we, we live life. I mean, it's so sanitized nowadays. We're detached from our food. We're detached from any semblance of violence for the most part. And then death comes and it's it's almost from behind the corner and nobody ever sees it coming. Even though it's the one thing that it's that, you know, they say We're death and taxes. And that's the other thing about younger people like in the, or anybody, younger, older people fearing, fearing age. And it's, it's a one thing. We all sit there. We all want to age. None of us want to, you know, we, none of us want to die when we're young. But then all of a sudden we get older and we're like, I don't want to be older. Well, the only way not to be old is to die when you're young. I mean, I can't figure out another way to explain this. It's like you're either going to, yeah. So it 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 we are kind of we our, our brains are are split in a weird way around that issue. Um, I do know people who have tapped out or are ready to tap out um, as they've gotten older. Yeah, but but I think it's it has to do with pain and quality of life. I think people. You know, um, I mean, people, if you get to the point where you have pain and you feel like, you know, you've done everything you can do and you're not enjoying it anymore, um, I think it's a gift to be able to recognize that and then start saying your goodbyes and um, and and not just fight, like create, spend the last parts of your life fighting against the inevitable. Um, I mean, I had a dear friend who, who got... Um, MS uh, in her late fifties, and it progressed pretty quickly. And she 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 had a she rallied her community around her. We were doing a lot of things for her family, and she had a big party this year in in March. And then and then she ended her life in in April, and she was she was alive alive, alive, alive till the end. But she chose it because she knew what, what was happening to her body. And, and most of us, most of us don't have that obvious kind of reminder that life is precious. We just kind of take it for granted till all of a sudden it's, you know, it's too late. But she was, she lived every, every second of her life loud. And, and I mean, that's just, it was such a gift. I mean, it was, I mean, it's tragic, but it was a gift that she gave her fa- her friends to not like kind of hide out and be sad, but to just say, "I'm doing, I'm, I'm. We're going to do this, you know. We're going to celebrate me and celebrate my friendship and celebrate all of you and this this community. We're going to celebrate this because I'm not going to beat this, and I'm going to go out on my terms." You know, it's just an incredibly difficult situation to be in. Oh, hell yeah. It's just, I mean, especially with something like MS or I always fall back on dementia, which is an even lighter case in comparison. But the idea that your, your body is almost betraying you in a sense or that it's failing. And I think 
again, tying back into our culture, we fetishize this idea of, no, keep fight until the end. Just, just bear it out. It doesn't matter if you're suffering, you can get another day and you should stick around, not for yourself, but for your family. And like you said, that quality of life has to come into play at some point. You want to maybe live an extra year, but you're down in 20 pills a day just to get through the day. And what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Stuffer, but you can get by. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's, I, I think people have to define that for themselves. I mean, you know, and the, the thing is we're all, you know, the minute you're born, you're already going to die. I mean, it just, it, it's absolutely guaranteed. And, and so, and we, I mean, we all have a, an unknown amount of time that we get to do this thing that we call the human existence and stuff. And so as you know, we are already, sorry, you said you're in your twenties. Sorry. Um, so you're going to, you are aging right now and, and things are going to change. And the beauty of it is it doesn't happen overnight. Cause if you went to bed tonight as it's 20 something and woke up as a 60 something, you would not be able to handle it. But we're given the gift of life in small increments for most of us, unless you have an accident or something big happens, your aging process is very slow. So you don't quite see it for what it is until you look back on it. And, and I think that's a good system because I think, um, it, it's hard. I think it'd be hard for somebody to just wake up and be 50 years older, physically and mentally. Mentally, it'd break you. If I just woke up tomorrow <laughs> and I was 80 year old, I would snap. I would snap for sure. Yeah. Well, y- you would snap if you had nothing, you didn't know anything about your life between now and then. But the thing is, I mean, when I was 25, I was uh, getting my master's degree in social work and I, I worked in an ombudsman program, so I was going into um, nursing homes and talking to people. And for the first part of my internship, I was being trained, and I would be at the office taking phone calls, and I was like kind of in my safety safety zone. And my supervisor said, well, you, you're going to go out. to You need to go out to a facility. I go, no, I can No, you got to go out. So ship me off, and I walk into, I remember walking to the nursing home, and I walk in, it's loud, there's, some people are yelling, it just, there's a lot going on. And I'm like, oh my God. And I thought, well, I, I'm supposed to go talk to people. So I kind of go down the hall and, you know, I'm looking at who should I talk to? These people are slumped over. Um, how do I, how do I enter into it? And I just finally, I turned the corner and I looked into a door a room and there was a fellow laying in bed and, you know, he wasn't screaming, you know, he was calm and everything. I thought, okay, this guy, yeah, maybe he's asleep. Maybe I'll knock lightly and he just won't. So I knocked on the door. I said, hi, you know, it's Maggie. I'm here. I'm the ombudsman. And he opened his eyes, kind of sat up, looked at me and just gave me the biggest smile. And it was like, wow, he's a guy. He's a guy in the bed. He's, he's, he's normal. And I came and started talking to him. And what I realized is this guy's 80 and I'm 25, but he's been 25 before. He's been all the ages I've been already. He knows exactly, he knows what my life has been. Maybe, you know, as a guy, but he knows roughly, he knows what I've done in my life so far in an overall sense. 
And I can connect with him based on my experience because he knows what that is. And then based on that, I can learn about his life because we can connect as 25-year-olds and then start talking about life in general. And, and at that moment, I'm like, there's nothing to be afraid of here, you know, because we're afraid. You know, we go in, people are afraid of, 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 of how to interact with somebody that might be drooped over or slobbering or confused or whatever. It's like, connect with them where you are, you know? And, and it's just like with music, people with dementia, they connect to their music of their teens and early 20s. So do that. You know, that music part of your brain is different than the speaking part of your brain. So do that. I mean, it's, but once I figured out I could connect with these people based on them, who they are, not who I am, but kind of who we both are in this, um, or who he's been, you know, he knows what it's like to be a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, whatever. He knows all that. So why am I afraid? This guy's a 25-year-old. I mean, granted, that's a frightening thought because 25-year-olds, you know, anyway. Not to offend. No, no. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I knew what a 25-year-old was and I could connect with him and, you know, and it was, it was such a moment of understanding and it really helped frame how I interact with older adults the rest of my life. Like, they've been there. They know. And not from a judgmental telling me what to do. They just know. They enjoy. They, people enjoy connecting with younger people about life. And if you're willing to listen to the stories, it's like, I think everybody in a way, I think once you got to be a little older to have this happen to you, but I think you'll find at some point that there will be a moment in your life, an age or time in your life that everything was just felt like it was awesome. You know, not that it will never be awesome again, but there was just that moment in your young life where you go, this is great. I have a great group of friends. This is and it's, it's almost like when you ask older people, I would start asking them, how old are you in your mind? And they would tell me 21, 27, you know, whatever. And it was always going back to that time in their life that just had that remarkable impact on them. Even a guy that was like 21 and in World War II, but that was, that's where he went. You know, and you think, well, why do you want to go there? Well, that's where he connected in his life with the people he connected with. So even just asking people, what, what, age are, what age are you right now? Everybody I've talked to that we all have ages. We all, I'm 26. But um, I talked to a guy the other day. He said he was uh, 35. I said, oh, you're old. <laughs> you know, 26-year-olds go to think a 35-year-old's pretty old. So, but yeah, I think. It's that, youth, it's that youthful essence, right? Yeah. Just because your body is 80 doesn't mean that. Your mind necessarily yeah. is 80. Yeah. yeah, you have the experience, but yeah. we're well, all and like kids at heart. We are. And, you know, on the other side, there are people who were born old and act old and are old forever, even if they're in their 20s or whatever. I mean, it's... I feel that way in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm one of those old people that's trapped in a young guy's body. My mom always would tell me I was born old, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, that, it doesn't... It's not a happy I, thought. I think she meant... She meant wise... And I'm convinced that's what she meant. Um, no, I think she meant I just, because I was always kind of looking at how everyone was and making sure everyone was okay. Maybe So maybe I wasn't born old so much. I was born um, codependent. Um, that's a joke. Oh, <laughs> I hear codependent and I'm like, uh-oh. Uh <laughs> no, um, I don't know what she meant. 
but she meant I was just kind of, I, I was mature. But I thought, oh crap, that means by the time I'm old, I'm going to be super I'm going to be old. really old. Because <laughs> when I was young, I was like, what does that mean? I don't know. That means I'm going to age faster. I don't get this. But, oh. Yeah, growing up is is a very weird thing in that it's, you don't notice it for the most part. And then you get these glimpses. You catch yourself in the mirror or you're doing something one day and then it hits you that, oh, I'm I'm this age now. Yeah. And then you go a little while longer, a few years pass, and then it hits you again. Yeah. And it's just these flashes of reality that catch you. Yeah. Oh, now I'm I'm 34. Oh, my God. I'm doing stuff adults do. When I'm the adult happen? in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, when people ask, I, that's what I always go back to. When people say, we need an adult, you're now the adult. Uh-huh. And I'm still looking around like, where, where, hey, where's right, this person right. going to show up? Or more, it's like, uh-oh, quick, hide it. No, wait, we don't have to do that. We're adults. We can do this. Um, yeah, it's it's a funny thing. And um, and I think the more people really realize, rather than judging somebody by their outward appearance, whatever it is, age, whatever, is to just that they've all been down the same road you're going. And they could give you pointers. Some of them will be ridiculous pointers. You don't have to listen. But it's certainly entertaining to hear what other people have done in their lives. I remember, too, always all these years working with older adults that when I would read obituaries of people I knew, and I didn't know them very well, but I knew them, I interacted with them, and I'd read their obituaries. i go, God, I wish I'd gotten to know this person better. That's incredible. And especially people with dementia who can't tell you about all their wonderful life anymore when you see those, you know, and it's, it's incredible. So I'm always, I was always, when I worked with um, folks with Alzheimer's and caregivers, I was always like, we have to just, we have to assume and know that this person's an incredible person. And the person we're seeing now because of the memory loss is, who, is, is a part of them too, but this is not all of them. This is not nearly all of them. Um, and, and it's hard for families, but when you come in as a caregiver who didn't know the whole history, it's a lot easier to just meet, also meet that person with dementia right where they are, because you're not seeing the loss. You're not experiencing the loss of things that the family does. You're able to just say, hey, Joe, what's new? And Joe will tell you what's new. And you're like, okay, fine. That's cool. You know, hey, Joe, tell me what your favorite song is. And he'll tell you. And, and you have fun in the moment, the way sometimes family members struggle to have, because it's such an emotional weight on them to see, see the loss, you know, see the changes. Um, but yeah. Oh, I was going to tell you another service we have. Talked about the home share. I encourage people to do that, especially now so many people, I mean, housing is so tight around here. Make a friend of a different age. Um, and some of the people we match up, by the way, are also older adults. So it can be all kinds of ages. It's not ruled by any specific. We try to match people who will get along and enjoy each other's company. Um, we also have this program that we help uh, do safety assessments and some fixes in people's homes to make them safer. Fall, you know, if you don't want to end up in a nursing home, get rid of your throw rugs, you know, do things, put in grab bars. It's, you're not a sissy if you have a grab bar. It's called slip and fall and break a hip. Who wants that? You know, so we go in and we help people figure out how to get more lighting. Some of these folks are living in houses that have no overhead lighting because the time they were built. And as we get older, we need more light to see what's going on. 
we need more efficient light so that we're not trying to scrimp and save and not turn the lights on. So we need to go in there and fix the light. We need to make things more fit accessible at different heights because some people can't stand and cook anymore. They have to sit. So how are, how are people doing all that? So we'll go in, even put in grab bars, I said, ramps sometimes. Anything we could do to keep people safe in their home because it just goes, it just creates a whole nother chain of events if someone has to go out of their home for a while. And it's hard to come back sometimes. So that's a program that's is great. We also have a, a fall prevention um, exercise class that we do. And we switched that to Zoom. It was all on Zoom with our teachers during COVID. And now they're coming back to classes. Uh, that's, that's, they're, those are fun. People got, people got through COVID, you know, seeing their friends on the Zoom classes and doing the exercises. We also have a class where we teach, um, teach people how to use their iPads, you know getting iPads out to people, teaching people how to use it um, because everyone talks about the digital divide and that um, older adults were left out, you know, when they couldn't be out seeing each other. And I was, I'll tell you, I know older adults in their 90s who use phones and iPads and stuff just fine. And I know younger people, uh, you know, who don't. So it's, again, we can't stereotype, but but people who were born at a time where these things were just ubiquitous. It's easy. It's there all the time. But people who were born when um, you were still using numbers or names on phones, you know, you would pick up the phone. I see it on TV. I don't, wasn't me. But, you know, I was like, what are they saying? You know, um, it's, it's a big gap and people need some help filling that gap and using the equipment. But, um, but it's been pretty successful. We've been getting iPads into people's hands um, and paying for the data for the iPad for them too. So that's something we're still doing. We'd like to get more people involved in that for sure. Yeah, that seems like a great resource. That's another access to the world resource mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. driving your car is. Yeah. And the thing, a lot of most, every program I've mentioned, we have a small number of staff who work in our organization, but these programs all can get bigger with volunteers. So ombudsman program, we can serve more people if we have volunteers doing that work. High cap, same. The volunteer driver program, the teaching the classes, we've taught, we can expand them up to Del Norte and wherever we can have somebody who wants to teach, we can teach. Wherever we have someone who wants to be a driver, if I had volunteers in Rio Del who wanted to drive people to Fortuna, boom, I can serve people in Rio Del. So it's, it's again, encouraging not just... Um, you know, it, don't just assume that if there's a government program that they're going to just take care of those older people. It's like we as a community are taking care of each other. And so our agency can do so much, but we need the volunteers. We need the people out there saying, hey, I'll drive somebody. I'll do that. I have time. Um, and it's a hoot. I mean, I've done rides. I've been driving people places and you just meet the most interesting people. Again, you, you connect, you hear some stories and um, it's, you know, just think about yourself. Well, I know it's hard, but imagine, you know, what stories you might want to tell somebody in 30, 50 years, you know, somebody, you want somebody to listen, I hope. And that's the other thing. We think old people are always telling stories. Well, we're all always telling stories. It's just, we judge older people harshly when they tell their stories. Think about it. You tell your friends stories all the time. Oh, this weekend I did this, that, and the other thing. 
or what about the sports injury? I used to play soccer, you know, we, whatever. We'd all talk about, oh, man, I did this, I did that. Well, older folks, they start talking about the different <laughs> ailments and stuff. It's like, yeah, that, that, but we all do that. Everyone does that. And it's just there's a certain amount of judgment we have about, oh, they're telling stories or they're telling the same stories again. My mom used to repeat her stories all the time. Well, the good ones you do. And, and yeah, you might forget you told somebody already, but I repeat stories too. We all do. I mean, and I did it before I officially became a senior. Um, so I, I think, again, we just have these prejudices about people based on stereotypes. Like everyone tells stories. It's not like these people waited till they were 70 before they ever told a story. They've been telling them their whole lives, you know? I mean, the comedians on stage tell stories all the time. That's what people do. You know, they might make theirs up. Well, I don't know. But. Well, I think when you're younger too, it's easier to write off your grandparents' stories because you're so involved in your own world mm -hmm. that you hear grandpa talking about some story about what happened to him when he was younger. You're just like, yeah, okay. Thanks, grandpa. Yeah. And then you go back to your phone. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing that you hear, what my, my mom just passed away this year, and I think the thing that I hear from, in my own head and from my siblings, but also from other people who've lost their parents, is how much they wish they had taped the stories or written the stories down because we all, you know, we've got parts of stories and also stories that we thought we heard a million times and we did but we didn't quite hear all of it because we weren't paying attention. And so there was gaps in those stories. So I, I really encourage people to, to not blow off grandpa's story because grandpa's trying to tell you something. And when grandpa's gone, the story will be gone too if you don't catch it. And it's called history. And I think our society sometimes we're very, we discount history and we repeat the bad parts of it all the time because we're not paying attention to what what's going on and what's happening. So I, um, I just I think there's some good stories and you'll and even just recording it, then you'll have that person's voice forever or until they change technology again. Um, you know, you might have it on a little square disc or anyway, an old floppy disk. From an old floppy <laughs> disk. Yeah, yeah, all those things. I know. I find them. I have a side gig where I help people with downsizing and moving and. You know, sometimes I'll find a little hard square ones, you know, and just, what do I do with this? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'd say yeah, there's, there's no way you can do anything with this. This is, this is a mystery that will never be solved, you know, but, um, but yeah, and I think what else do we do? A lot of it is just trying to hook people up to resources. Um, there's a lot of good resources around for helping families, caregivers. We have a, we, we subcontract with a caregiver service that helps people just figure out how to be a caregiver and how to deal with the stress of that. We also have a contract with legal services so that older adults who, low-income older adults who need some help with, like right now, renters' issues and stuff. We have a workshop going on tomorrow in Rio Dell to talk to renters about, hey, what do you do now? What are your rights? You know, if your house is red tagged, I mean, your rental is red tagged. What do you do? How do you go about getting your life back together? So that's happening tomorrow. Oh, that's dated. Well, it happened whenever we. Well, people are listening now, so they'll be able to hear ah, that. Ah, okay, good. Um, 
or not. But anyway, so that's happening. Um, we also have contracts with a couple senior centers that do nutrition programs. They do home-delivered meals, meals on wheels, and then meals on site. Well, with COVID, they couldn't do the meals on site anymore, so they created these uh, to-go meal situations where people would drive up, get their meals. And, um, and that really opened the doors for a lot of people who would never go to the center every single day for a meal, but might drive in and pick up a week's meals. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, again, about Riodel. There's a group of people in Riodel who were not going to each drive to Fortuna for a sit-down meal because their community is Riodel, but they would take turns driving there and picking up the meals for all of them so they could hang out and have their meals. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that really makes a difference. There's a lot of older adults who are not eating enough food. Um, and it's a real hunger is an issue in our community. Definitely. You talk to food for people. I mean, they've got people coming in of all ages because of, of COVID and the economy that, that had never thought they'd be going to a food bank. It's a weird world we're living in right now. That's a fact. Yes. That is an understatement. Yes. Yes. So you said something about your friend with MS that really stuck with me. You mm -hmm. said that she lived loud until the end. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's why? So many people are afraid of death is because they're not necessarily living the life that they would like for themselves, either in pursuing things or building these relationships that they would want or charting a path that they would want that when they do get towards the end, they start looking back and they're not necessarily happy with what they see. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think that's the case for everybody. I know uh, people are, but you know, it's easy to have regret. I mean, it's easy the longer you live, in a way, the more opportunities you have to second-guess yourself if that's what you want to do. And I think, I don't think that's healthy unless you can fix it. Which I mean, most times you can't. Yeah. And, but I think it's natural. And, and but, you know, I just think the thing I, I would say is that older adults are as diverse as people in their 20s. So, you know, if you line up 10 people in their 20s and ask them how they feel about anything, you know, you'll get 10 different thoughts potentially. And I am um, though, you know, I, I think who we are, who we are in our lives doesn't suddenly change at a certain age. So the personality, the thoughts you have now, the way you look at life now is going to probably be the way you continue to look at life. Um, you know, some people may get more, uh, you know, if health issues start impacting their, uh, you know, psychosocial kind of you know, they're just, their their power to maintain a happy attitude, um, that, you know, can have an impact. But there are some people who've gone through horrendous things in their lives and still have a good attitude. So it's so, we're so diverse. I mean, people are so diverse. Um, and I think the ones who are the strongest are the ones that have support, have, don't try to do it all alone, and are the ones that have, have a lot of, have close friends. You know, when you, uh, this guy, the Blue Zones, Dan Butner talks about the Blue Zones, and these are places around the world that people are living to be 100 for no good reason. Um, and they have, one of the things they all have, I mean, is they have community. And they don't try to have 1,000 friends on Facebook or 2,000. What they try to have is two or three or four or five people that they can turn to no matter what for anything. Um, and I think that should be a life goal versus, you know, how many likes do I get on my posts? Um, 
because that's what will get you through tough times. I mean, certainly if you're having a tough time and you post on Facebook, you'll get a lot of likes, but that's not what you need. What you need is that, that, you know, that real personal support and somebody to be in your corner. Um, and so I think, you know, those are the kind of things as we go through life, we have to maintain those friendships, but again, not hundreds of them. We can't, most of us can't maintain hundreds of close friendships. You just need a couple real friendships. Yeah. That and matter that are there for you that provide that support. When, when I was talking about my struggle in that, something I've recently started falling back on is the idea that life is hard enough and you don't need to make it harder on yourself by trying to go at it alone. Mm-hmm. And when somebody reaches out a helping hand, you don't have to smack it away to try to prove that you don't need that help. You should extend your hand and take that because mm-hmm. each level that you rise is an opportunity for you to turn around and help somebody else up. And and the, the there's a lot of good that comes from us letting other people help us. And that's, you know, it's, people need to feel needed. Um, so, I mean, that's the other thing. We're all like, we're so independent, but yet we all want to feel needed. Well, how's that going to work out if everyone's saying no and everyone wants to give it? It's, come on. We, somebody has to break down and say, I would like to feel needed. You need help. Let's do this. You know, let's, 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 let me just do that little thing. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, you know? Sometimes the small things are the most important or yeah. the most impactful. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be huge. And it doesn't, and don't do it if you're keeping score. I mean, if you're going to keep track of how many times you helped somebody and they didn't help you, you better just stop. Yeah, that's a rough road to go down. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around the people that do that. Yeah, I I did that for you twice, and you only did it for me once. So what's that about? Yeah, it's, uh, and often, you know, the best help is when nobody knows you did it. I mean, that's, that's kind of cool too, you know. So, um, yeah, I think we have to. We cannot, our, there, I've, I've worked in government-funded nonprofits my whole adult life and working with older adults. And the government has a role to play, and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without government funding. You know, that's it. But they're not nimble, and they're not, um, we can't count on the government in in a disaster, for example, immediately. We can't. We have to. You got to count on each other. You got to look at who's, you know, check on your neighbors. Are they okay? If every, you know, that's the thing is if everybody just checked on their neighbors, then in theory, everyone would have checked or been checked on, right? I mean, if everybody does it, we all have neighbors somewhere. I mean, you might have to go a little further if you live out in the country. But if everyone just kind of did that little bit. um we'd have people checked on. I don't know. What made you get involved with Area 1? Um, well, I I started out uh as a child. Um as we all do. Yeah. Although I was an old child apparently. Um I was born an old child. Uh I got my social work degree and was working in that ombudsman program and I moved up here uh back in the day and uh, wanted to get out of Sacramento. I worked there for 10 years and I worked at the senior center around the adult day health programs, the Alzheimer's resource center. And we built the, um, Alzheimer's resource center over there, did a big, um, capital campaign. And then I said, ah, oh, you know, 
I need a break. I'm going to join the Peace Corps, which is kind of a silly thing to think, but I did it. Um, and when I, because I'm sick of building buildings and dealing with raising money. So I got over, did the Peace Corps, and I ended up helping groups raise money, and we ended up building some buildings. And I thought, this is weird. And I just can't get away from that. So, um, but then I came, when I came back, the director position was open here and I applied for it and they hired me. And now fast forward 12 years and still doing it. It's so amazing how fast time goes when you get more time behind, under your belt, I tell you. This last year, I I'm now old enough to receive the services that I've been providing to people for how many years? That must be a crazy feeling. It is weird. And just as I suspected, I knew it. I told people, people don't turn 60 and rush down to get a free meal at the senior center. We don't do that. It's not like there's a flip, a switch that flips when you hit an age that you suddenly act different. You're going to be the same person you always were, uh, just a little older. And you're going to have your friends. You're going to hang out with your friends. You're not going to just all of a sudden become an old person. Um, that just doesn't, doesn't exist, you know. I mean, AARP thinks you're old when you're 50. Um, the average 16-year-old thinks you're old when you're in your 20s. So, I mean, it's, it's all relative. Every senior that I've ever worked with, you know, people like I say, oh, you, you know, you should maybe go down to the senior center and have lunch down there. You get a lunch, it's good, meets, it's for old people. And I'm looking at this person who might be in their 80s. Oh, no, that's for old people. Um, and what they mean is they think, you know, it's for people who can't take care of themselves. Well, no, again, it's that independence thing. I can't, I can't go down there and get a meal. People will think I need a meal, you know, or I can't or that I can't cook for myself or whatever. It's like that, that independent streak is kind of really does beat us up. Nobody wants to give that up or even flirt with the idea that you're not independent. Right. But you know what? We go to restaurants and people make meals at restaurants for us and we don't go, Oh, I'm giving up my right to cook. No, we're going out to eat. So it's just, and that's what you're doing. If you go to the senior center, you're going out to eat. But this idea that it's a senior center, you know, it's all of a sudden I'm, I'm admitting I'm an old person. Well, you know, you don't have to admit you're old to have somebody look at you and say, oh, she's 80. That qualifies as old. I mean, it's like fool yourself. Fine. But who cares? Who cares? Go have a meal, you know? Um, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to have a meal there. Go, don't go. It's like, it's not a requirement. I mean... Like I said, I didn't go down, rush down and get a free meal when I turned 60. Um, but I could go get a meal there anytime I want if I feel like I want to, and I, that's fine. I'd, I wouldn't feel like, you don't think you're, that's the thing. You don't think you're 60 when you're 60. That woman probably didn't think she was 80. You know, she's like, yeah, sure, Maggie. But so it's, it's we just, I think we just have to do less um, superficial judgment about people based on their age and, and start getting to know people based on what good they do in the world. What's the mark? How do they help others? You know, I think that's good advice just in general. Yeah, it is. Move away from the superficial. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and I think, I think especially around prejudice when, when the superficial is a, is a negative connotation. Like if we're being, if we're judging someone based on their skin color or their hair color or whatever it might be, it's so superficial that we have to move away from that because we're missing 
so many opportunities to get to know somebody who might be the perfect person for us to know right now. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I see it. I see it. And I think we just need to get over the fact that we're getting older. It doesn't matter. The other option nobody wants. So what's wrong with us? Why are we, why are we confused about this? You know, we shouldn't be confused about this, but we are. What was the Peace Corps like? That's uh, one of those organizations that I think everybody knows about, but at least me personally, I don't really know anything about it. Well, it started, um, uh, started by John F. Kennedy in 61. And it, the idea was we need to show people around the world that we're not, that, that we can do good and we're not just going places and with guns and trying to, um, although then we had that whole Vietnam thing, but, um, we'll sweep that out of the rug. <laughs> Don't pay attention to that. Hey, wait a minute. Well, but this was a good idea, but then that happened. Um, but the idea is going into countries that are, uh, that ask us to go. It's always, it's, it's, that's, that's a difference. Um, or you go often when no one wants you there, but, um, these, you know, countries that have asked us to go to help them with whatever issue they're facing, um, economic, um, you know, health issues, whatever it might be. And then volunteers go to live in communities, small communities with the people there, get to know them, become part of the community and serve them by helping, providing tools and information to help them come up with what they want and how they're going to make it happen. So it's not like we don't go in and say, you need to do all these things. It's more like, where are we? What, you know, get the lay, do a community assessment, just like you would anywhere. Like Real Del, do a community assessment. Don't just go in there and say, everyone needs this. It's like, what's going on? Um, what can we do to help you? Um, not what can we do for you, but what can we do to help you so when we leave, you're still doing what you wanted. Um, that's the theory. And usually it's younger people. Started out as people out of, you know, just out of college or whatever, or even not college, I think, back in the beginning, just going off to these remote places and learning the language and just being totally immersed in those culture for like two years. Um, I went to Botswana, which is, is, is we call Peace Corps light um, because it just, it was in Africa, it's a pretty, pretty, um, well, it's a w relatively wealthy country um, for Africa. I mean, they have lots of diamonds and different minerals and stuff. And, but their problem was HIV. You know, South Africa and Botswana had the highest, ha highest rates of HIV of any place. So it was just that, that's where, why they asked uh, the Peace Corps to come back. The Peace Corps had been there early on and then left. And so they asked them to come back and work with groups to try to address HIV situation and and it was partly supported by good old president bush's had a this this system or this funding that they were trying to do to help people and one of the funny things about that work there was um i would talk i i worked with groups that helped people with disabilities family members and people who were dis built, disabled who really had a rough time they didn't have the resources over there and so trying to help them become economically self-sufficient putting up they you know one group they put up a 
garden and, and started raising chickens and goats and food and stuff. So they had food to eat because anyway, but I would hang out with the girls in my neighborhood. I, they'd come to my house because um, I think I had a computer that they wanted to play with. I have certain things, but they came over and I did a group with them one day and I was talking about HIV. I thought, well, I, I'm supposed to do some education. So I got these teenage girls. I'll, I'll give it. So I'd say, and they get it in the school. They're, they hear this. So I said, I said, so what's the best way to avoid getting HIV? And they said, it's, it's the ABC, abstinence, be faithful, and condomize. That, that's the con, that, those are the words. I go, okay, good. I said, so are people abstinent? They're like, giggle, giggle, giggle. No. I said, okay, so then they're being faithful, right? And giggle, giggle, no. And I said, so they're condomizing, right? And they're like, yeah. I said, so what's the most important thing you need to do to avoid getting HIV? And they say, abstinence. Like, no, it's condomized. <laughs> they just couldn't get it. You know, it's like, yes, abstinence is the best way if you're doing it or not doing it. It was, it was like, so they just had this rote thing, you know, and it's like, they weren't thinking it through. It's like, no, I think C is probably the only, you know. Yeah, thing. if you're not listening to A and B. You better be C, you know. It, it was just like, oh, God. So, um, yeah, it, it was interesting. But um, it was interesting. It was, it was an interesting time. You should do it. I don't, I've got, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I've had a couple of guests on that have kind of glossed over, at least traveling to Africa mm -hmm. and volunteering. That is something I would be interested in yeah. doing. It's just the volunteer work. Yeah. Yeah. And you could do it without, yeah, I would, I would, you, I would suggest for you, I don't know you, but I, I feel like after this time together that you just go do it on your own, find, find people, make connections. There's all kinds of groups over there because Peace Corps is pretty, they take care of everything. They take care of a lot of things for you, housing, training, all this, but then they just keep an eye on you. I mean, you're, they have rules. Um, is that a safety thing, or they're just micromanaging it, well, in a sense? Yes, both. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say they're micromanaging, but they want to make sure you're doing what you're, they're being paid and the government is saying you're doing because Peace Corps at, on Capitol Hill always gets looked at as, why are we doing this? Why are we sending our people? Why are we spending money helping other people? So they have to show impact. You know, just like they, they have to, they can't just be sending 20 somethings off to party for two years. Which, yeah, that wouldn't last long. Which is what some of them end up doing. Um, and um, so, I mean, there's a balance. But, you know, when, when COVID hit, my God, the thing Peace Corps is really good at is getting you out of Dodge. When COVID hit, they had to get thousands of volunteers out of countries within 24 hours. I mean, they were moving people out, and it's, it's incredible that they were able to do that. Um, when I had to come home when my dad was sick and I was telling them, I was telling my stepmom that my dad will be dead in, within three days of when he stops taking his medicine. And my brother's like, how do you know that? You don't know that. I go, trust me, he will be dead within three days. Once he says, I don't want to take my pills anymore, he will be dead. I want to be home. So finally got my, 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 finally got her to ask me to come because I couldn't just get on a plane. And then Peace Corps got me out so fast. I mean, as soon as they got the, you know, that I need to go home, they got me out and gave me 10 days to be home. And he did. He died. I saw him that when I got there, he died the next day. 
And so, I mean, they're really good at getting you out of town when you need to be out of town. Yes. So that's kind Did of a weird thing. Did you have intuition for that, for your dad? What was... Well, I mean, he had, I knew I, you know, he'd been ill and he had lots of things wrong with him and he was taking a lot of medicines. And it just, I just, I don't know if it's scientific, but just all the years I've worked around older adults, um, one thing you at some point decide to do is you don't want to take your pills anymore. And I just felt like with the amount of pills he was taking that were balancing and doing all these things to his body, um, that they wouldn't be in. I mean, some of them had half-lives and were probably still kicking around and they're doing something, but that it was like too much to have been going in to try to keep him alive to just suddenly take out. And, but I, but I just, I just felt in my mom, when she passed, she stopped, she did the same thing. She just, at some point just said, I'm not taking, she didn't take as many. So for her, it wasn't, I don't know. I just, I guess it was intuition. I didn't have any factual basis to know it, but I was just adamant. And, and it was good that I proved myself right. Cause my brother, you know, I think I impressed him by, cause he's like, you can't know that. I go, I do. And he's like, what? Well, I mean, goodness says that you got to be home for yeah. that. The, the, the funny thing, though, is my mom picks me up. And my parents, they've been divorced forever. So my mom picks me up. And after we go see my dad, we go to my mom's apartment. I walk in, I look around, I'm like, things are being, things are askew, astray, everything. And what's going on? She goes, well, I'm moving. I go, you're what? She goes, yeah, I'm moving. I go, when are you moving? And she, I go, mom, what's, what's the plan? I mean, if dad wasn't sick and I didn't come home who would it's like I don't know so 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 I'm there for 10 days and and I spent that time packing her up getting it moved and unpacking everything and putting it away I'm thinking mom what's the plan you know what the hell was this you know so she might have had some intuition but but (laughs) I'd be coming to help her but um that was too funny it's like Cause, and, and I, cause I would move her. I'm, I'm her mover. I would be the one. Um, but I'm like, really? What? It's crazy. It's crazy. But it gave me something to do while I was home because otherwise I would have just been sitting there and being sad. Yeah. It keeps you busy. Kept me busy. Kept, kept, you know, idle hands and all that. So. But, uh, it's weird how things work out like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, ha- I have to ask. And I'm not sure how prominent this issue is, but you hear about it a lot. Elder abuse, especially mm-hmm. in care facilities. And I know that you said you do advocacy. Do you have any familiarity with that? Mm-hmm. Have you yeah. heard any of that? Yeah. When I was the ombudsman, um, we would get report we, we um would get reports of uh of alleged or suspected elder abuse in facilities. And the law is that abuse in facilities has to be reported to either the ombudsman or law enforcement. So we would get those, a lot of those reports. And, um, I mean, I would say it runs the gamut of, of, of people doing, uh, not everybody, but the rare individual who really does something mean and nasty and, um, to kind of neglect that is more about, Staffing, maybe not purposeful neglect, but just they can't get to all the care they need to provide because of staffing levels. And the, the staff that are there are working so hard, but they, they just can, they're not superhuman. 
And so those are different extremes. Um, but um, sometimes, I, I mean, I would see things where, you know, people were bruised where it was clear. I mean, when you get older, you bruise more easily. Um, and these are very frail people in these facilities. So bruising's easy, but it's, you know, where's the bruise? What's it look like? You know, there, there's all this stuff, um, you know, just being handled roughly. Um, again, not this, not every day. This isn't something, but it does happen. Um, you know, yeah. And financial abuse, forget just in the nursing homes, but, but financial abuse is a big deal. I, and um, a lot of financial abuse is, some of it is family members just saying, I'm taking care of you. I deserve some money or, you know, because I'm doing all this work um, or, or maybe I'm not working at all anymore and because I'm taking care. I mean, there might be the sense of entitlement. Um, but clearly, again, everything I say, that this is, these are examples, not what everyone does, because most people do not abuse their parents um, or spouses. I mean, most people don't. But, you know, there's also some, some sense that, or some, in, some studies that indicate that if there were difficult situations when the kids were growing up, maybe there was some type of abuse that that, that be, learned behavior then comes, you know, that is used when the parent is frail. And, that, and that's a learning, it's not like, it's a learning thing. It's like if you learn to deal with stress or conflict physically um, and you learn that, then you're going to use that later unless you learn not to. So again, that's, uh, there's lots of things going on, but stress, I mean, think of how many times, I mean, it's providing care for another person, especially someone, either someone you don't know and it's, you're being paid or a family member you love and you've seen them change is very stressful. So it's, it's difficult, um, you know, verbal abuse just, or yelling. I mean, that happens. Lots of things happen. Um, but I would say generally, most people are not being abused. Um, the problem with financial abuse, too, is the strangers that are doing the scams um, that are real common. Um, you know, people saying, you know, the, grand, the grandchild scam where they call. I, I would, you know, I don't know if I would, I, well, I don't have grandkids, so that wouldn't work. But um, That'd be worrisome if that one got you. <laughs> hey, it's your grandson calling. Hey. But if it was, you know, maybe it was if one of my nieces called. But the point is, I would, I'd be asking questions like, what's your birthday? What's your sister's birthday? What's your brother's birthday? Ah, you don't have a brother. Hang up. You know, I mean, I would, I, I would think I'd be on. But, but again, um, and I would say a lot of people hang up on those. But the people who don't get scammed. Um, you know, I, uh, and I, it's, it's rampant. I mean, you know, I mean, people call and are telling you all kinds of stuff. And, and generally speaking, it's like, if you didn't call them, you don't have a relationship with these people. They're not going to call you. If you think it's your credit card company, call your credit card company. I mean, fine, go, don't just pretty much anyone who's calling you without you asking them to is probably just bogus. They really are. Um, but, a lot of these people are really good at being so nice and caring and 
you know, and of course there's don't ever pay a contractor, especially I'm saying this now, you know, people with, with damage to their homes, don't ever pay somebody up front. Don't pay them until they're done. But that happens all the time, all the time. Um, it just, you know, I just, I, it makes me mad that there are so many mean people out there who are just doing the wrong thing. The phone scams especially are sickening. Yeah. When they're just taking advantage of these people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, and once the money's gone, the money's gone. Um, banks are supposed to notice things um, like money coming out and, and things, but, and report it now. Um, but it's still, it's, it's gone, you know, especially good scammers. I mean, if it's a guy down the street that made you write him a check, he'll be easy to catch. But these folks are calling from God knows where. And yeah, if they're halfway around the world, what are you going to do? You're not, <laughs> you're not getting that money back. No, you're not. You're not. And, um, and it happens. And, you know, I sometimes talk to families who are like, I know moms, this is happening. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know, and it's, it's hard to take access. It's hard to say to your parent, you're not allowed to write checks anymore. Or you're not allowed to, yeah, I'm taking all this stuff away. It's hard to do that in a way that doesn't alienate your parent and make them angry. Um, it goes back to the independent thing that we've been talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is there are people, a lot of older adults fear their family putting them into a facility. They've, but do you think that's because of the neglect and abuse? Because that's what I've always heard, and that's what freaks me out, is that if what happens if you put your folks in this home and then somebody mistreats them? Yeah. Like, that would kill me as a, as a child yeah. if my parents were neglected or abused and I was the one that put them there. Sure. And I think... Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, if you have the assumption that everyone who goes in a nursing facility is going to be neglected or abused, then it'd be hard. And, and I, you know, I hear families all the time saying, I promised mom I would never put her in a facility, but I, I'm, I can't keep doing this, you know? And, and so I would say, don't, don't make, I mean, like with my mom, I, it never, I never made that promise to her, but I just knew it, it would never happen. Um, so in a way I made it, but I didn't say the words so that I'd later feel guilty about it. And she, she, you know, it, it, but I think we just don't know what the future is going to bring. And, um, there are resources to keep people at home, but it takes a village. Like with my friend, the younger friend who, um, it, we had a, a, a lot of people helping her so her husband could keep working um, and it wasn't just on him and their daughter. I mean, we had people bringing, people were bringing food. People would be sitting with her people. I mean, it would, so you have to create, and it's almost like it's acceptable to create a village when you're a young person. But, you know, when, when someone says, oh, I'm taking care of my mom now. And it, like, we don't gather the same way as a village. We think it's the family needs to do it. Well, this isn't a family job. This is a job for superhuman it's, it's, you know, especially with dementia, it's a 36 hour day. It's the name of the book that, you know, is about it. It takes, it, it's impossible to be one caregiver for anybody. And it, anyone who tries it is going to set themselves up to feel bad because they're failing and they shouldn't feel bad. They should know that it's impossible. It's impossible to be one person doing it and just get, ask for help, you know, call us, Get you, we'll hook you up to caregiver services. Um, call, you know, look at your tribe. You know, again, don't look at your entire tribe and say, 
okay, I'll use, I need help, but pick and choose the things that people are good at. You know, my brother was really good with financial stuff with my mom and he lived near her so he could run over and be at her house within a minute. They lived in the same condo complex. So he was really good at being there for her in the moment if she needed an emergency type of thing. She would tell him, I'm getting in the shower. If she didn't, if, you know, and she didn't call him back in a while to say I'm out of the shower, he would know he needed to come over. Great. He would not have been good going with her to doctor's appointments. That's what I did. So instead of making him do stuff he wasn't good at, we made me do the stuff. We, we took turns. We did different things. And that's what people should be doing. You know, think about if you don't have family to do it, then think about your friends, you know. And it's okay to ask for help. And I think it's just finding the right resources, which mm-hmm. is great that you guys provide that service and finding people that you trust or that can be trusted to yeah. do that. I mean, I've heard horror stories of even people that have at-home care and it gets dicey. I've heard stories of mm-hmm. people, especially with dementia, being taken advantage of and their caregiver trying to steal money from mm-hmm. them, trying to convince them that they're going to get married to get that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, and I'm sure that this is not the status quo and these are very rare circumstances but you hear that and it strikes some fear in you yeah and it and it um it's there but it's not it's there and you have to be careful but it's not automatically going to happen um you know i i i'm not going to go into all the details but dating sites can be like that too right that's another one and people lose a ton of money doing that and you don't have to be an older person to have that happen so i think we all want to see the best in others and we want and flattery will get people really far but you know you got to be smart um and uh it's hard to be smart all the time just not it's hard to do that full-time that's a hard full-time job sometimes we we goof up you know we make mistakes but um not everybody is going to, not everyone is abusing elders. There are some really great people out yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's important to find out what the person's training is. One of the things I also would tell family members who wanted to hire someone for in-home care is like, tell them you're doing a background check. And if they don't want a background check done, then you just saved yourself some time. Um, it's not perfect because it's only convictions, but if they got one, they're not gonna they're not gonna let you do a background check. So Okay, well I think we can end it on that. Maggie, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. I appreciate the offer and um I want to uh hold something up if I could. Absolutely. Uh, senior information guide. Yeah. If anybody this has all kinds of resources in it to help seniors and caregivers. And we have these at uh our office. And they're out around town as well. So, um, and if you can't come by and get one, you can call us and we can mail you one. And then do you want to plug where people can find Area One, where they can find you, where they can find your side business? If they're interested in moving. Yeah. Um, Area Agency on Aging, our offices are at 333 J Street in Eureka. It's the corner, um, face, it faces the jail. Kind of, we're on the street that dead ends in the jail, but we are not the jail. Um, and my side business, uh, info at crafttransitions.com. I didn't, yeah, that's, I'm, I, the reason I was kind of being weird is that right now my side business has taken 
been put to the side because of the earthquake stuff I'm working on because I can only have so many hours in a day. But that's it. Info at crafttransitions.com. Okay. Well, Maggie, really, I, I appreciated this. Enjoyed you too. It a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to get you back on. All right. And keep aging. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you.